Welcome to Destiny Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Eric Smith. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit DestinyDayton.com. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus, we praise you, Father. Hallelujah. While you're standing, grab your Bible. Electronic paper, doesn't matter, matters not. Open to Acts chapter 1, verse 12. When you're there, say, oh yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When you're there, just hold your device up or your Bible up. All right. All right. You mean people with paper paper Bibles got got there faster than people on a phone? I'm not sure how that's possible, but okay. God bless you. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got tabs. I get it. All right. All right. <laughs> Acts chapter one, verse twelve. They returned to Jerusalem from the mountain called the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath's day journey away, just a couple miles. And when they had entered Jerusalem, they went upstairs where they were where they were staying. Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, Judas, the son of James were there. And all these continued together in prayer with one mind, with the women, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. I love what the Passion Translation says. It says the disciples left the Mount of Olives and returned to Jerusalem, uh, which was less than a mile away. Verse 14, all of them were united in prayer, gripped with one passion, interceding night and day. Everyone say that. All of them were united in prayer, gripped with one passion, interceding night and day. Cool. Let's go to Acts 2 here real quick. Acts chapter 2. Starting with verse 1. Now when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a violent wind blowing came from heaven. And they filled the entire house where they were sitting. And tongues spreading out like a fire appeared to them. And it came to rest on each one of them. Could you imagine a prayer meeting where you were praying and suddenly you noticed a fire coming through the roof, right? And it was spreading around and it was landing on everyone's head individually. Now, that is uh, not unprecedented in modern times. Uh, In Argentina, the Argentinian revival back in the 80s and 90s, I actually started in the 60s, 50s maybe, uh, I, I read a book on the Argentinian revival. Uh, it was called Cry for Me, Argentina, a powerful book about the Argentinian revival and how it started. I think I've shared a few stories in here. But there were several instances in the nation of Argentina. And by the way, churches went from like 100 people to like 20,000 in a matter of a few weeks and months. I mean, it was like people lined up. The power of God tangibly came down. Uh, I mean, there were stories of, of people that uh, the, the, the floors and off, a lot of these churches are concrete. And when the power of God hit, people come in the altar and they would weep so much. There would be like a river of tears 
um, that you could see flowing. And it was like, where's this water? As they realized it was people's tears hitting the ground on the concrete. And, and so many people were weeping before the Lord that you, some cases you could see these rivers of tears. But there were several instances where fire department actually showed up outside of the church and came in. Could you imagine somebody walking in your church, fireman, he's got his helmet, he's got his axe. He's like, where's the fire? And everybody's just in there praying. And what happened? True story. All right. Again, this happened several times. There were calls from neighbors around churches saying, hey, this church, there's a huge fire coming out of the roof of it. I wanted to call the fire department. But when the fire department got there, there was no physical fire. It, people were seeing a manifestation of the Holy Spirit's fire. Isn't that awesome? I've often prayed, God, I, so my dream is to see firemen walk through our back door and say, somebody called and said this place was on fire because they saw flames. Come on. You see, there's more. You ever think, oh, is there more God could do? Oh, yeah, <laughs> there's a lot more. All right. So it filled the place and touched and, and rested on each one of them. Verse four, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other language as the spirit enabled them. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the power of your word. I pray, God, you would stir hunger in every heart and life in this room. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would approach your word, that we would approach our our salvation with a victorious mindset, because that's what it is. We have victory in Jesus. The word of God says that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Jesus, we are conquerors. We are victorious. We are winners. We are overcomers. God, I pray away right now. Any of those that have a victim mentality, because victim will never be victors victims god victim mentality will keep us bound it will keep us looking for for excuses but god we make no excuses we say simply father we are victorious in you we look forward for the victory that's coming even if we are praying for victory to manifest god victory will come in the name of jesus christ hallelujah you may be seated. I, tell, I want to bring Madison Buxton up here. She's got a testimony of what we just talked, out, talked about this morning and prayed about, about how sustaining in prayer for something when you don't see the victory. I want you just to listen to what, what her testimony is. Okay, I'll keep it pretty short, but I just wanted to share just what um, really the Lord um, just kind of brought about just within the last like week or two of my life and just things I've been praying for. So, um, my dad um, texted me a couple Wednesdays ago and said, I'm getting baptized on Sunday. So, um, and he is 56 years old and, um, and, um, God is just so good because he heard the prayers of a five-year-old in Sunday school praying that my dad would just come to church. Not even that his soul would be saved, that he would just come to church, but, um, the Lord has just done incredible things. I'm 28 now, so you can do the math on that, but just years of prayer. So what Jason was saying, if you're still praying, keep praying, keep pressing in, do not give up because God does everything and it's perfect in his timing. And if you need an example to have, um, just to have, you know, a reminder of his faithfulness, use my example that, I prayed and prayed, and sometimes I never thought it was going to come to pass, but just this past week it did, and my dad stood up on the stage in his church and said, I'm all in, and I love that. It's God is so good, and I just wanted to brag on him real quick. So, so if you are praying, do not give up. Do not give up. God will do it. God is so faithful. He will do it. Amen. Amen. Never give up. Never give up. Keep seeking, keep pushing, keep going forward. Amen. Amen. Well, I tell you what, you know, I could teach you about the 
the history of Pentecost, and, and it would do you some good. But to be honest with you, I would rather have you get lit up by the flame of God, and then I will teach you from there. That, that, that is the best way to learn. You know, let the bomb go off, and, and then we'll pass through the chaos. That, that's what I prefer. Let the bomb hit. A bunch of stuff will happen. A lot of it will be God. Some of it probably won't be God. But we'll do our best to help you sort through it and encourage you to go deeper in the Spirit of the Lord. And we'll all do it together. But I, I just I believe that because we, we can go teach background and background. But really what you need to do is experience Him. I, I tell you, I've, I've seen people that, you know, you could give them a, a wonderful theological argument. You could give them scripture. But I'll tell you, when, when people's hearts aren't open and receptive and, and ready to receive, it kind of falls on deaf ears. That's why I was telling some people the other day, you know, I, I really, you know, even though I, 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 my flesh likes to do it, I, I stay away from it. But I'm not up for theological arguments anymore because I, I've seen way too much. I, I've seen the glory of God too real and too powerful. I don't have time to argue with people that don't believe it. I'll just let them do their thing and, and we're just going to drink, right? We talked about the excitement today. And the fire, let me tell you where that comes from. The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit is like a fountain inside of us springing up to life. Listen, if if we lack that excitement in his presence in that life generally, that means we need a filling of the Holy Spirit because he is life. We sang it today. He is life. He is power. He is healing. He is all those things. And inside of him, he springs up as a living water. When I was a wee high to a grasshopper, we used to sing that old hymn. Maybe you sung it too, some of you. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Opens prison doors, sets the captives free. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. That's Pentecost. That's Pentecost, people. It's where God wants us. It's where he wants to take us. So I pray for the bomb to go off for you. And in order for that to happen today, I want to talk about this upper room blueprint. I want to talk about what pulls heaven down here. What attracts the Holy Spirit? What is magnetic to the presence of the Holy Spirit? What draws him? What is God looking for? And I'm, I'm honest to goodness, not going to preach very long today because I want to leave time at the end for us to seek the Holy Spirit together. So I have two points, not three. Oh, no. <laughs> I want us to have time to really go after and I, I just want to I feel like these two points are really key and, and I just want to touch on them and 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 maybe they won't be uh, new and original thoughts. But, uh, you know, because uh, Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. But I, I think sometimes here's the thing. God can give us revelation on things that we haven't had before. You ever read the Bible and you read a verse that was very familiar and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I never you, you, like the Lord showed you something like, man, I read that 50 times. How come I never saw that before? It's called it's a revealing, right? It, it, it was shrouded. And then suddenly the Holy Spirit lifted the veil like, ah, oh. see what I'm praying for is a body, a church full of people, an area full of people, a region full of people that have that curtain lifted like, ah, oh. oh. so here's what I want you to see in this Pentecostal blueprint. This upper room blueprint. What draws heaven? 
What draws the presence? People say, well, you know, I, you know, man, I've heard it all. But people say, well, I used to pray for the baptism in the Holy Spirit 30 years ago. This person was quite elderly. And I just gave up. And then they quoted some terrible advice that some preacher gave them somewhere. Oh, this preacher told me that when, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, well, that's terrible. <laughs> I didn't say that. But I'm like, oh, that's not good advice. And what happens is sometimes we literally, and, and this is odd because, Pentecostals get accused of this and charismatics get accused of this, but it, it's, it happens on the other end of the spectrum. But, but they say, well, you know, we can't let experience guide us. We have to trust the word of God. Exactly. Exactly. So I continue to pray for the salvation of my loved ones. I continue to pray for healing. I continue to pray for the baptism. But pastor, it's been 20 years. I've gone forward for every altar call. I've prayed. Great. Keep it up. Because the Bible tells us when you ask, when you seek, and you knock, the door will be opened. It didn't say in 30 minutes. It didn't say in a 55-minute service. Then God will show up. It doesn't say in a 30-minute show with a few commercials. Then God will come. Come on. We have to understand. We have got to seek the Lord. Ask, seek, knock. And it will be opened. It will be answered. It will be received. So understand that it's important that we grab these things that are magnetic. And this is the first one. And this is why I'm saying this. Is Pentecost reveals the power of praying corporately and praying in agreement. We all should pray privately. Yes, that's important. But let me tell you something that I deem maybe even more important than that. Praying together corporately. I don't think we can do it enough. In fact, I think if we wanted to have an early church book of Acts type service, it would look like more prayer than anything else. People were always stunned when they went to the Azusa Street Revival because they went there thinking there's going to be some, you know, big sermon and a big message. But often was not the case. It was somebody on a piano in this old horse stable that probably smelled a little like horse still. And somebody would play piano and they would just spontaneously sing worship songs. Right. Uh, and then once in a while, you know, William Seymour would get up and he would share once in a while. A Frank Bertelman would come in and speak, you know, once in a while. But it was often just people seeking God in a room that wasn't even this big. 700 people packed into a room and they had to sit on wood planks between concrete blocks. Probably had a little straw on the floor. Imagine getting 700 people in this room. That'd be the tribulation for some folks. Well, I'm going somewhere else. Consumer-grade Christianity is damning the church of America. I'll tell you that. Pentecost reveals there is power in praying and agreement. And even though I know we talk about this often, I cannot do a series on the blueprint of the upper room and I'll talk about unified corporate prayer. It's why we have corporate prayer. We start our service. People wonder why, why you guys are up there. 
But we're not up here to entertain the first five minutes. We're up here to pray. We're hoping you join. We want to lead with prayer. We start early. We start before we start, right? We start at 1025 roughly, sometimes sooner. And we get up here. Why? Because we want to start our service with intercession. We want to start the service with prayer. Because listen, we are pushing back against the agenda of darkness. We are pushing back against the agenda of evil. And we want to see genuine salvations. Not just people raise their hand and I, I love you pastor and but we want people that get free from drugs we want to see homosexuals set free we want to see people healed of cancer we want to see genuine salvation genuine transformation and i want to see we've seen it we are seeing it and i believe we're on the cusp of what god is about to do we're going to see chains broken off of people to a greater degree amen thank you for those nine amens here in the book of Acts, we obviously, we, we've heard much of this. We, we, you know, people make jokes. They were in one accord. Ha ha ha. It's where a Honda was first mentioned in the Bible. <laughs> I can't even give that a courtesy laugh. Anymore. I mean, that, I appreciate that. I mean, that's just, I, that, I mean, that's just like, yeah, that's where cars were first mentioned. But waiting in Jerusalem for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they were of one mind. And this is interesting because in the book of Acts, prayer and prayer meetings show up about 28 times, which is interesting because the book of Acts only has 28 chapters. So on average, one prayer meeting per chapter, and I will tell you most of these prayer meetings are corporate prayer meetings. I am convinced beyond doubt that corporate gatherings of believers that are praying in agreement, touching one thing, are magnetic for the Holy Spirit. I love, I, I read this to you at the, at the onset, Acts 1.12. All of them were united in prayer, gripped with one passion, and interceding night and day. That's Acts 1.14. United in prayer, gripped in one passion, and interceding night and day. There is power when we gather and pray together. Just like there is power in the communion meal, right? When Jesus was eating with his disciples, they were eating a meal. What happened there? That's when their eyes were open and they said, oh, Jesus. When the church got together and prayed, that's when what happened? The Holy Spirit fell. As we look through the book of Acts, I've got a chart. It's really cool. Every time they prayed in the book of Acts, something powerful happened. You know, prison doors came open. People were healed. The Holy Spirit came. Uh, there, there was mass healings. There's always something cool because there's something powerful when we will pray a prayer of agreement. Jesus even said this. You've heard me say this before, but Jesus tells us in his word such that he really shows up differently when people are gathered corporately. When two or three are gathered together in my name, there I'm in the midst of them. There is power when we gather together and touch one thing. Now, Last week I mentioned this and I just want to just develop this thought just a little further because this is exactly the direct opposite of what happened at the Tower of Babel. Genesis 11, right? In Genesis 11, the Bible says they were united in promoting flesh, gripped with pride. In Acts 1.14, they were united in prayer, gripped with one passion, 
interceding night and day. I want to tell you how important it is that we gather in unified corporate prayer. Why? Because it's magnetic to heaven. It pleases the Father. It's what the Holy Spirit is looking for. See, if we want the Holy Spirit to show up, we don't need shorter sermons, better sermons, longer sermons, uh, you know, more illustrations, uh, you know, more whatever, whatever, whatever. We need a church that prays. We need pastors in the pulpit who pray. I like you. If you saw this, I, I, I'm, I'm stunned that 37 percent of American pastors have a biblical worldview today. Thirty seven percent. I might be getting that number slightly off. I believe that's what I read. Only 37%. And we wonder why we don't have power. We wonder why the church is selling out. We wonder why the church is compromising. We wonder why the church is adopting worldly philosophies. We lack the encounter presence of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? He comes to imperfect people. People that be like, well, how did that guy get it? How did, that, that's just how God works. He'll take the most unlikely. He'll take the people that you've dismissed. He'll take the people with, 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 with the, the, the results that you don't think are what they ought to be or whatever, and God will elevate those people. All, I can give you example after example in history of people who were marginalized, people who were on the outskirts, people that had you know out-of-the-way stuff, and all of a sudden God just said, flame on. Genesis 11:4 I want you to see this. Then they said, "Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered across the entire earth." This is interesting. Notice they gathered together with a vision They had a connecting vision. They had enough people buy into the vision. And they're like, let's make a name for ourselves. Scary. What did the prophet Isaiah say the words of Satan were? Remember prophetically, he gives us the words of Satan. Satan said, I will ascend to the heavens. Sound familiar? I will raise my throne above the stars. I will be higher than the most high God. Right? So... We know that Jesus revealed that he shows up when people pray a prayer of agreement. So here we have in the upper room, we have people gathered. They are praying. They are relying on the power of God. They are relying on on Jesus showing up and doing this thing. That's their plan. That's their strategy. We're going to pray. We're going to wait for the Holy Spirit. It is the direct opposite. And when the Holy Spirit came in the book of Acts, he filled them with languages that, that, that drew people together. Healing, racial healing, anyone? Don't take the world's bait. Don't do it. The solution they're offering won't help. It's only making things worse, but they're selling. See, they create the crisis and they sell the snake oil. and Everybody's like, yeah. No. The answer is Pentecost. Get full of the power of Jesus Christ. Racial lines melt. Divisions melt. Healing happens. These languages went out. They drew people from every shape, form, stripe of life. See, when God does it, it's unifying. 
Tower of Babel, understand what happened there. They, they, it was built on pride. It was built on their thing. And so God scattered their languages. <laughs> See, flesh, that's what flesh will do. If God does it, just the opposite. This is where I want to segue to this, and this is where I want to spend most of my time. Pentecost reveals the power of humility. Could I tell you today that you'll never receive anything from God unless you humble yourself? Old and New Testament give us this this verse. Humble yourself before the Lord and He will exalt you at the right time. For God gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. I want to tell you, Pentecost was a massive dose of humility. At the Tower of Babel, pride. It was group driven to making a name for themselves. In Pentecost, it was a group given to prayer. I want to tell you, when you give yourself to prayer, this is why it's difficult for churches to actually schedule prayer meetings and do it for more than one or two weeks because it's humbling to pray. A lot of Christians today, not you guys, but, you know, feel uncomfortable in a prayer meeting. I don't know what to do. They'll get their Bible out and thumb through the Bible and read verses. Well, it's great to do that. But when we're gathered to pray, there is a grace on prayer that is powerful. There is a grace on and it, it's humbling. And this is what Jesus said when we call it the Beatitudes. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There is a, no greater humility than to be on your face before the Lord and say, God, we need you. 120 in the upper room. Lord, Lord, we don't, we're not even sure what's coming. But God, we know that you, you, you told us to wait and we need it. If it's from you, we need it. We, we can't even figure this out on ourselves. We can't strategize enough. God, we need you. There is nothing more humbling than to pray. In fact, I, I would say corporate prayer meetings are the natural enemy to pride and ego. Let me tell you how it is for pastors. It's real hard for pastors to give up control. That's a challenge for every pastor. Because we like it ordered. We want this. And nothing wrong with order. But you've got to ask yourself, who's order? See, a pushback out here. Well, you know, God's a God of order. And so, well, yeah, but what do we, is it your order here or God's order? Well, Satan's the author of confusion. Well, yeah. <laughs> who's confusion? It's a little chaotic in that upper room. But we like it ordered. We like it 30 seconds. We want this. We want that. We got our run sheets. Make sure you're up there. You got, you got five seconds to do it. Get up there and do it. And I understand that. But we come into a prayer meeting where we allow God to move. And we try to structure our services the same way where, hey, it's okay. It's you know, which really gets to first Corinthians, you know, when you gather together, some of you have a song, a, a spiritual hymn, a, you know, a, a prophetic word, you know, that that's really what church ought to be. But, but we have so tightened the, the ratchet on things that we sometimes, because we want it to be so structured and so order, we've wiped out the move of the Holy Spirit. See, Pastor Eric, why are you saying this? Because it's humbling. It's humbling for me to get on my knees and my face and let y'all see my bald spot on top there. 
It ain't bad, but yeah, uh, no. I'm not Jason Thompson level yet, but come on. <laughs> I'm about ready to do that, Jason, some days. I just like shave that baby, yeah, shiny, glossy. I'll look like the white cue ball in a pool table is what I'd look like. But I want to tell you, <laughs> I want to tell you it's humbling to pray. It's humbling to spend time in prayer. Why? Because you're dying to the flesh. Because what do you do after 30 seconds? If you're not used to praying, what do you want to do? What else can I be doing here? The devil will bring every reason in the world why you need to do something else. Have you noticed that? You, you, can, you can read your Bible and the devil won't mess with you too much, but you try to pray, look out. You see, Pentecost reveals the power in humility. Again, we're talking about things that are magnetic to heaven. Things that are magnetic to the Holy Spirit. Humility is magnetic to the Holy Spirit. Humility draws heaven. Humility is what God loves. God sees that because He's close to those who are crushed in spirit. He's close to those that are humbled and broken. The Bible tells us that. The Lord honors those. He gives grace to the humble, but He gives what? To the proud. Resistance. Resistance. No more powerful, no more powerful statement than giving yourself to prayer. And it's something that's so powerful about the upper room blueprint that we cannot miss. God came down on Pentecost because we can't do it without him. Pentecost shows us that God honors lowliness and humility. It's fascinating to me that God's plan to reveal his brand new invention, the church, involved everyone gathered to see this grand reveal looking like they were drunk. You know, I think it's still an embarrassment to be a public drunk. It certainly was then as well. Could you imagine God of the universe? Here's the grand reveal. Jesus died. He rose again. He's empowered the church. It's growing. It's powerful. The gates of hell won't prevail against it. Here they come. And what do they look like? Those guys are drunk. But isn't that God's pattern? Come on, Gideon. Bring your 300 guys. You're not even a warrior, Gideon. You're about to win Israel's, arguably Israel's greatest victory. And you're not even a warrior. That's how the kingdom works. If you're afraid of being humiliated or humbled, I want to tell you, you're never going to receive anything from the Lord. If you're worried how you're going to look, if you're worried about people think, if you're worried about how this is going to appear, if you're worried about people's opinion, uh, I want to tell you, this is such a key principle in the Bible, Old and New Testament again. Grace, remember, grace is an empowerment from the Holy Spirit. So he gives grace to the humble. Please don't confuse grace with mercy. People say, well, give me a lot of grace here. I, when they're saying that, they're saying, I might be messing up, but give me, but, but that's, that's a wrong use. So they say, give me some mercy here. But see, grace, the Bible, Bible grace is an empowerment to live the life, is an empowerment to walk this world, you know, free from sin. It's an empowerment to live as the Holy Spirit is called. So it's important that we get this. It's important that we understand this. The Lord gives grace to the humble, but to the proud, he resists them. Lest we forget what the Apostle Paul said. I want to show this to you, Second Corinthians. Even because of the extraordinary character of these revelations that he was getting, he's what he's referring to. 
Therefore, so that I would not become arrogant, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to trouble me, so that I would not become arrogant. Now, people debate, and I I say rather meaninglessly, because I think it's pretty clear when you study old and new. A thorn in the flesh was not an illness. It was not an eye disease. Let me see everything else I've heard. Um, uh, Paul had oozing eye sores. No. Okay. A thorn in the flesh, if you go to the Old Testament, which was the Bible of Paul, that's the only Bible he had. A thorn in the flesh is always used in connection with a person. Paul's thorn in the flesh were the Judaizers, right? These are the ones that laid in wait. We're not, remember, we're not going to eat or drink until that man is dead. And they were after his life. And Paul said, I've got a thorn in the flesh that I have asked God to remove, but it is not because the Lord said, and I'll just keep reading because Paul says it better than I. I asked the Lord three times about this, that it would depart from me. Verse nine. But he said to me, My grace is enough for you. Oh, get this. We stop right there sometimes. My power is made perfect in weakness. (laughs) Did you know that his power is made perfect in your weakness? So then I will boast most gladly about my weaknesses. Come on. Try to build a church on that model. I'm going to tell you all the things we're terrible at. Our weaknesses. Why? So that the power of Christ may reside in me. Because I'd rather have that. That's what Paul's saying. Verse 10. Therefore, I am content with weakness, with insults, with troubles, with persecutions, with difficulties for the sake of Christ. And that's all the stuff that the Judaizers were dishing out on him, right? They were insulting him. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to give him trouble. They wanted to give him difficulties. And he said, I will be content with that for the sake of Christ. And he repeats it again. For whenever I am weak, then... Ooh. Humility. Key principle. Lowliness and humility precedes outpouring. Everyone say that with me. Lowliness and humility precedes outpouring. If you want to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, it starts with humility. Cannot fear looking stupid. Cannot fear being misunderstood. Cannot fear looking like we're drunk. I will never forget the day that I got a phone call from a local public school. I've shared this story before, but some of you have not heard it, but I'll be sharing it again because I like it. Secretary from a local public school said, Pastor Eric, there's some students here from your church that appear like they are drunk today. Could you come down here and see if you can straighten them out? That was the Bible Belt, Oklahoma, right? Things are different in the Bible Belt. If you've never lived there, you have no idea. It's pretty awesome. Except their weather. Hate their weather, but I love the atmosphere. It's changing, though, by the way. We've got this global culture going on nowadays. I arrive at the public school. Now, here's the deal. Wednesday night, okay, we're in the middle of revival. Revival had hit our church like a bomb, right? The bomb went off, and then we pastored the chaos. When I say that, I'm not joking. I'm not making stuff up. It was crazy. There were many nights that we had to put people in their cars 
because uh, they were just too drunk to drive. They were so full of, well, Paul said, be not drunk with wine, but be drunk with the Holy Spirit, right? We had people that were so inebriated with the power of God. I had teenagers like this. We'd, we'd get, you know, someone's brother. Hey, get over here. Can you drive him home? We had to put him in the back seat. He'd be laughing. He'd be out of it. He'd just be gone. Y'all ever seen people like that in the Lord? Raise your hand if you've seen people like that before. Okay. I want to bring you all into that realm. <laughs> That's my goal. Well, we had had one of those services Wednesday night. This was Thursday morning. I get to the office, 9 o'clock, phone rings. Secretary says, hey, you got a call from Oktaha High School. Okay, what's going on? Oh, you, we got kids. So I walked in. And I had a feeling this is what was happening because it was one of those services the night before that went on and on and on and on. And the parents who were unsaved, they were back in the back looking through the windows and trying to get their kid, trying to drag their kids out of prayer. Right. Kids were in the altar. They were seeking God. They were they were snookered. Right. They were. And there's parents up there. Not not many. They were come get up. Get up. We got school tomorrow. Come on. Get up. Let me tell you, if you ever find your teenager that way and it's the Holy Spirit, don't bother them. That's more important than anything they'll ever learn in school. They'll make up whatever they miss in that first hour of, you know, sexual identity and orientation or whatever garbage they're teaching them today. But we had one of those services. And so we went in there. I went in there. And immediately I saw like a couple of our kids. They were like doubled over, like laughing. Like they were just like still under the power of the Lord. The glory of God was on them. And again, mind you, this is the Bible belt. So I, I, I went into the secretary. I said, hey, do you think like, you could give us a room and I could meet with our kids? And like maybe anybody who's, who's seeing this, if they want to know what this is about, they could meet me in room 301 or whatever it was. And they said, sure. <laughs> Public school. Uh, we have an announcement to make. Every, uh, uh, Pastor Eric Smith from First Assembly of God of Muskogee is here. If you would like to uh, uh, meet in room 201, uh, he's going to be explaining uh, this is that. <laughs> He's going to be telling you what this is. So we get in this room. I can all, I have, I I don't know how many kids we had in that particular school. There was half dozen or so. And like, but the, the classroom was filled. So it was like them and all their friends and curious onlookers. So I was thinking like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to explain this. And here I go. And I was getting ready to speak it out. And, and, you know, kids were still laughing. They were doubling over. (laughs) They were just like, you know, whoa, it was, it was awesome. And as I began to speak, a girl who the Holy Spirit was on strongly stood up and gave one of the most powerful prophetic words I've ever heard. And in this prophetic word was a call to repentance, a call to come to Jesus. Because remember, all of this should point to him completely. It is all about exalting the name of Jesus Christ. Don't ever forget that, right? As soon as she gave it, she started weeping. Like the, the anointing was just heavy on the prophetic word she gave. She, I think she like fell to her knees. And so I, I thought, I don't need to say anything. So except, you know, finish this up, right? I said, if you need to give your life to Jesus, I want you to stand. So kids stood all over the classroom. I said, let's pray for him right now. So we prayed kids got saved. The glory of God came down. Powerful moment. Uh, 
I'm just reminded of what God can do. And God is not concerned about, you know, how how we fear we're going to look or how we're going to be, you know, seen. I think, you know, the more we worry about stuff like that, uh, the more we hinder what God wants to do. Because God is true. Man is a liar. And if we try to gloss our image, if it's about us looking cool, if it's about us looking a certain way, I want to tell you that repels, that's gross to the Holy Spirit. God wants to show up how he wants to show up. Yeah, revival, Pentecost, it can be messy. It can be chaotic, but I call it divine order. So when someone tries to say, well, we got to be decent and in order, I always like to follow and say, well, whose order are we talking about here? Because God's order is going to look a little bit different than yours. When the bomb and the presence of God goes off, there's going to be all kinds of things going on. That's what pastors are for. That's why God gave pastors that we can teach and train and equip and we can pastor in the chaos. And we could lead people and say, hey, okay, that's not God right there, but this is. Go for this. That's not, that's kind of the flesh. We want to avoid that. And that's what pastors are for. Hello? Humility. Not fearing what man thinks. Not fearing what people will say. Is if you will, I don't know that there's a formula, but if there's an elixir, if you will, that will draw the presence of God. It's it belly did he eat carpet. It's the Jesus way. Humility and lowliness is the pattern. It's a pattern in the life of Jesus. Remember when Jesus was baptized? I'm about to close. When Jesus was, was baptized, John the Baptist was baptizing unto. Repentance. Thank you. I know some of you, you, you think it's a trick question. It's not. No. Did Jesus need repentance? Why did Jesus get baptized? Well, he wanted to identify with us. Jesus knows what it's like to be a baby. But he said that all righteousness will be fulfilled. Jesus was laying out the pattern of lowliness and surrender. And here's John the Baptist, right? He may not have even seen Jesus because crowds of people were there to hear John, but he felt something, right? He's like, I remember meeting him when I was in my mother's womb. Caused me to kick and roll and jump, and and I, I knew that, the, that, that, that Jesus was present. And I, that day, I have a feeling he was like, I recognize that presence. There's a presence here today. Where is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? And Jesus comes out. And he comes. And John's like, oh, man. He said, there's no way I can baptize you, Jesus. I should be baptized by you. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. John, permit this to happen. Because this is the way of righteousness. What is he meaning? Well, once he was baptized, remember he came out of the water, what happened? The Holy Spirit filled him. See? When Jesus was baptized, what direction did his body go? Down. When when Jesus washed his disciples' feet, which direction did he go? down when they built the tower of babel when they tried to build it what direction were they trying to go 
When Satan spoke after he was kicked out of heaven, what did he say? I will ascend. See the difference? The Jesus way is down. The Jesus way is humility. The Jesus way is to lower yourself. This humility, my friends, is what will draw the presence of the power of the Holy Spirit. John said, here he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the entire world. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. He first introduces Jesus as the Lamb, and then he introduces him as the baptizer. It's because you must have blood before you have the fire. You must have sacrifice before you have the oil. Salvation will always precede the filling of the Holy Spirit. If someone is not saved, if someone hasn't encountered salvation being born again, you cannot receive the Holy Spirit. You will try and try and try and never receive. And if you're not living under the blood of Jesus, you are living in opposition to God. I want to tell you that right now. I just find it fascinating that Jesus walks up to his cousin, a man that he created. I know Jesus is the creator. Jesus created everything. He's the creator, right? We shouldn't struggle with this. Jesus created. He called John into ministry. That divine calling that came from Jesus. See, here, here's, we're not getting the picture. God created that man in the water, baptizing. God gave him, Jesus gave him his call. Jesus gave him his ministry. Jesus equipped him. And now Jesus is saying, hey, I need you to baptize me. Here, let me get my arms right like they teach us here. Humility. Humility. The way up is down. The way to receive is to go low. It's the pattern of Jesus. And then the heavens open and the Spirit of God comes down. I tell you, God will clothe the humble with power. He exalts the humble. He resists the proud. This is the nature of the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus is looking for. He's not only looking for people that can gather and agree in corporate prayer. There is, there is, there is magnetism to that. There is also great magnetism on the fact that we have humility, humility before the Lord. The ability to humble ourselves. The ability to go low. The ability not to, not to fear looking stupid or what people may think. Are looking cool. When we have those in the forefront of our thinking, my friend, we'll never receive anything from God. Don't worry. And I've witnessed to many men, and that's what men use. I'm good. I'm good. And I can say, I, I always want to come back. Brother, I can tell you're not good. I see you're not good. What is that pride? I'm okay. I'm good. I'm good. That's pride. It's interesting that we're about to move into a month on our calendar that they call Pride Month, where we celebrate sin. Pride is the original sin. Pride is what keeps us receiving from the Lord Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God, we must celebrate humility, not false humility, not fake. That's disgusting, too. We're not fake humility, not false humility, not people trying to act humble that really aren't. But genuine humility, genuine brokenness before the Lord. And I got to watch myself all the time. Not that I have, you know, I, I, what are you proud about? But it's, just, it's a human condition, and we all have to keep that in check. We have to keep ourselves low. 
Because humility always precedes outpouring. Would you stand? Would you lift your hands to the Lord right now? Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This message and other resources are available at DestinyDayton.com.